0: The thud shook the house. And it wasn't just one of those noises that maybe the boards were shifting or uh, just a phantom creak. The thud shook the house. It was the middle of the night. It shook Brooklyn, my wife. So, dial 911 on your phone. Don't hit send. We have two uh, boys. So I went into protector mode. And we'd heard thuds before, which I went and investigated, but not like this. There was no question in my mind that there was an intruder in our home. There was a thud, and the house shook. And I got the shotgun. And I told Brooke, if you hear anything, you barricade yourself with our kids. You call the police. Don't come looking for me. took the gun, and I started down the stairs, making as much noise as I possibly could, because I have heard that if there's an intruder, chances are they don't want to encounter anybody else. And if they hear you, they'll leave. But if they stick around, then you know you're really, really in for it. So I wasn't trying to be quiet. I was letting them know that this house was occupied, and they needed to go. But I didn't want to turn on all the lights. So I was going around in the darkness, carrying the gun, being loud, and all of a sudden it happened. I stepped on a Lego with my full force and I let out a war cry that would have fit in Braveheart. It was half rage and half squeal. It was like I was a rabid, wounded beast, and I have never felt pain like I felt that night when I stepped with my full force onto a Lego that my children had left in the middle of the floor. Speaking of children, the thud that we heard was our child rolling out of bed onto the floor and shaking the whole house. So I climbed back upstairs, wounded, put the gun away, and for the next day walked gingerly because I stepped on a Lego and experienced pain Unlike anything I had ever experienced before, because I was walking in the dark. This morning, we're going to look at the next I am statement that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to join us in John 8. We're going to begin in verse 12 as Jesus says, I am the light. The world, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So here Jesus is, and he's comparing himself and he says, I'm the light of the world, I'm the light of the world. That's me. I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. And my, have we seen darkness on display recently. Remember a week ago when we are all like, hey, we're off to a pretty quiet start of 2021. 2021 is going to be so much better than 2020. What what could possibly go wrong this year? (sighs) Ah. Here we are. And what we've seen over the course of the last year is chaos. And it isn't restricted to a party or an ideology, we've seen that there's darkness. There's darkness on the right, there's darkness on the left, there's darkness in America, there's darkness in other countries. There is darkness in this world. Now some people will condemn it more quickly when it fits their cause. But there is darkness all around us, and it is on full display. And we're left to scratch our heads and wonder. But we have to remember, every generation that's followed Jesus since Jesus has thought, this is it. This is the end. This is when Jesus is going to come. Finally, the world has seen enough. And in our immediate context, we might think, well, well what more could there be? But we have to be reminded of what we saw just a couple months ago when we walked through First and Second Thessalonians. The people in the church of Thessalonica were so concerned with the state of the world, they thought that they were hellbound and that they'd missed the return of Jesus. There is darkness. And it's nothing new but the degrees of, I mean, there are degrees of darkness. As the night carries on, there are darker points of the evening than other points. And so we certainly may be being ushered into a darker time, but there is darkness and it is on full display. And the promise and the encouragement for those of us who follow Jesus is this, that Jesus is the light of the world. And that if we are his followers, we don't have to walk in the darkness. But there is darkness, and it is all around us. And that isn't meant as a political statement. It's just the reality that we find ourselves in. And the dirty little secret is this. The political ideologies aren't going to fix it. It isn't going to become better when one party rules or another party rules. We've tried that. We've tried that repeatedly, and here we are. And just because another team goes in and another team goes out, with the promise of betterment and the promise that things will will finally be, be made right and be made whole, I am here to tell you it will not work and it will not matter because every single time we search for a solution apart from Jesus, every single time we go after that, things may get marginally better for a while, but in the end, they end in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. He is our only hope. So we can look and we can be rightfully concerned with the stage of our world. And we can be rightfully concerned with everything that we see on display around us. But let us remember that as people who follow Jesus, he is the light. And we live in a world of darkness. But God is greater than that darkness. And we can take heart and we need to make sure that we safeguard ourselves and our lives so that we live in such a way that we promote the light and we don't allow the darkness to drag us into it, but that we are people of resolve, and we say that we will live as our Savior models so we, no matter how dark it gets around us, we will choose to be the light. That is our only choice as followers of Jesus. So the Pharisees said to him, as Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and if you follow me, you'll you'll walk in the light, but otherwise you're in the path of darkness. The Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. That's how they respond to Jesus. Oh, you're the light of the world. That's interesting. So you think, okay, you said that about yourself. Nobody else is saying that about you. Now, here's my question. If people had this response to Jesus, if people had this response to Jesus when Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world, what makes us think that people are going to have a different response when we tell them Jesus is the light of the world? If Jesus himself tells people, I am your hope, I am the light of the world, And they look at him and say, nah. I mean, you can say that about yourself, but it isn't true. What makes us think it's going to be any different when we tell people that Jesus is the light of the world? Which is, once again, an invitation for us as followers of Jesus to just stop caring what everybody thinks about us. They didn't accept it from Jesus himself. They're probably not going to accept it from us. I don't know about you, but if I've got the choice to believe Jesus or Brian, I'm going with Jesus every single time. And you should too. You should. If you've got the choice to believe Jesus or you, go with Jesus. Trust me, it ends better that way every single time. And so, if Jesus himself is telling people, I'm the light of the world, and this whole world is darkness, but I am the light of the world, and they say, mm, You can say that about yourself, but no, you're not. Why do we think things are going to be different for us? So, what's our response? Do we hide? Do we adopt a defeatist attitude and say, well, they didn't believe it from Jesus, so they're not going to believe it from us? Or do we persevere and accept the fact that it's not our obligation to save anybody's soul, and accept the fact that that God's never called us to change anybody's mind, but He's called us to live as people in the light proclaim the truth in love, but to leave the results to him. So what do we choose? There is resistance to Jesus himself. There's going to be resistance to those of us who follow him. And Jesus answered this, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Jesus says, you can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want, but I know the truth. I know the truth. And Jesus also tells them, in the nicest possible way that I think's ever been recorded for any of us, you're going to hell. I mean, that's what Jesus tells them. He just tells them, you're going to hell in the nicest possible way that that it can be done. And it's it's not an angry reply. It's not that in anger Jesus snaps and says, you're going to hell. It's just the truth. And Jesus lovingly, lovingly is willing to tell people the truths that they do not accept and they don't want to hear. He says, I'm the light, and everything else is the darkness. And they say, you're just saying that about yourself. It isn't true. And Jesus says, you wouldn't know. And remember, these are Pharisees. These are people who are spiritual people. These are people who think they've got it right. In their minds, they've got it right. And they are doing God's work here in opposing Jesus. And Jesus tells them, you've missed it the whole time. You've got it so wrong. You've got an idea of what it is to follow God, but you are rejecting God when you reject me. Can I just say that in the realm of hearing you're going to hell from somebody, the last person you ever want to hear that from is Jesus. Like, the last person you ever want to hear that from is Jesus. Like, the first person's probably your mother in law. Like, yeah, you know, like, all right, I'm doing something right. The last person you want to hear that from is Jesus. This is not good. This is sobering. And yet, Jesus loved them enough to convey the truth. And we live in a time where people do not want to hear the truth. We live in a time when a response like this would be labeled hate speech and unacceptable. And the question that we have to ask is, how will we respond? How will we respond? It's a conversation my wife and I had this week on the phone. She just asked the question, how much longer do you think we got? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. And this isn't a conspiratorial idea or anything along those lines. But here's what I said. I said, I don't know, but here's, here's ultimately what we know. God's got us. He's in control. And we, we enjoy immense freedoms, immense freedoms in this country. And I'm in no way trying to stand up here and, and be an alarmist and, and try to convey the idea that I think that... that the government's going to try to sweep in and shut churches down any in, in, anytime soon. I, I'm not trying to convey that in any way, so please understand that is not at all my intent. What I am talking about is this idea as a culture that if you do not blindly accept and praise someone or something, that you are hateful and you oppose them. And with that, certainly as that mindset continues to grow, and by the way, it's, it's not exclusive to one side of the political ideology. How it's conducted can be different, but it's not exclusive to one side of the political ideology. So as that mindset continues to seep its way into our culture and continues to grow, <clears throat> the question's going to be, well, what's next? So do we steal? do we take away tax-exempt status do we de-platform churches do we take away platforms do we do we not allow them on on you know certain website what's that going to look like and i don't know the answer to that but here's what i know that what we've been called to do is we've been called to be people who walk in the light and we're going to be honest and we're never gonna we're never gonna shy away from our message but we need to take the tone of jesus And we need to lovingly convey the truth to people. It is not loving to not convey the truth to people. It is not loving to tell people just what they want to hear. It is actually loving to tell people the truth and to make sure that we do that in such a way that we allow the truth to offend, but not our words, that we allow the truth to offend but not our lifestyles. And that we are faithful to who God has called us to be and what he has said and what he's done. Jesus goes on, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge but I in the Father who sent me. Boy, boy, do people love to, they just love to take John 8, 15. They just love to take, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Well, Jesus doesn't judge. And and you might scratch your head and wonder, hmm, I mean, here it is. Here it is In, in plain text for us. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. So what does this mean? Is that accurate? Is it true? I mean, Jesus said it, so we know it has to be true, but how does that line up with the other ideas that Scripture puts forth and the other statements of Scripture about God judging us? How does this work if Jesus says, I judge no one, and every person who ever makes a horrible decision in their life is like, well, you can't judge me because even Jesus doesn't judge me. I mean, it's the the Bible verse the people who want nothing to do with Scripture will memorize and use, and anybody who loves Jesus and loves the idea of Scripture. It's an excuse to let me do whatever I want. Well, we've got to understand the context. As with anything, if we pull something, we can make it sound pretty much like whatever we want it to sound like. But what is Jesus talking about here when he makes this statement? Well, remember, remember the purpose of Jesus' coming. Remember the purpose of Jesus' coming. One of the first Bible verses that you probably memorized is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And if you learned it in the old King James, you got some more ifs in there. But, I mean, that's, that's the fir- one of the first Bible verses that we, we all memorized. And what's John 3.17 say? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, in order that the world might be saved through him. The reason that Jesus came was not to bring about instant judgment. The reason that Jesus came was to pay the price for our sins. When Jesus says here in John 8, 15, I judge no one, what He's talking about is the time for judgment had not come. His purpose had not yet been fulfilled. His purpose was to come and to die for us so that we could have a relationship with God and we could we could be forgiven and restored. So that the judgment for our sin was not something that we had to fear, and the punishment for our sin was not something that we would have to pay. But He paid that price for us. But when Jesus is speaking here in John 8.15, He'd not yet gone to the cross. The payment for our penalty had not yet been paid. John, actually, a couple chapters earlier in John 5, lets us know exactly how the judgment of God's going to work. For the Father, John 5, 22-24 says this, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus is telling them, I judge no one. Now. The time had not yet come but verse 16 tells us the time is coming the time is coming and now the the payment for our penalty for our sin has been paid jesus has sacrificed himself on the cross he died for our sin and our mistakes and three days later he rose again there is the time that is coming where all of us will stand before god and jesus will judge in conjunction with the father And the question, again, as we talked about last week, the question, again, is not whether or not we are good. For the answer is, we aren't perfect. And none of us measure up to that standard that God has, which is perfection. But there is a time coming. And in your law, verse 17 says, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. So Jesus appeals to them now like a lawyer, like an attorney arguing a case. He's seen their rejection. And what does he do? He continues to engage them. He continues to engage them. He's seen their rejection, and he continues to engage them. I can't tell you how many people I saw on my social media feed over the course of these past few months, this week included, who've posted something to the equivalent of, if you have any part in this idea, or if you have have any sympathies toward this idea, just defriend me now. I don't want you in my life. And that's where the polarization of America's gotten us, where we want nothing but echo chambers in our circles We want nothing but people who agree with us. And as people who follow Jesus, we need to take the lead of Jesus. And let me be very clear. If you're a Republican, you're welcome at Lakeside. If you're a Democrat, you're welcome at Lakeside. If you're an Independent, you're welcome at Lakeside. Now that that might not be that controversial. I mean, that might be getting on the edge, but that might not be that controversial. Now, what I'm about to say may be controversial, but it shouldn't be. But it shouldn't be. If you align with QAnon, you're welcome at Lakeside. If you align with Black Lives Matter, you're welcome at Lakeside. Here's the deal. As people who follow Jesus, we need to encounter and engage with everyone regardless of their political ideology, regardless of how they feel. And we must realize there is something greater. And in a world of darkness, we must be the light and we must walk in the light. So if you agree with us, great, you're welcome here. If you disagree with us, great, you're welcome here. But we are not going to stop proclaiming the truth that God's standard of Scripture has for us to proclaim. And if the truth offends you, I am sorry. And I hope it's nothing about us but the truth of Scripture that does offend you. But we will not apologize for what Scripture says. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where is your father? And Jesus is communicating here that he's God. And what's their response? Huh. Where's your dad? Where's your father? At best, they're skeptical. At best, they're skeptical that they don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Maybe in their mind, he's talking about Joseph. Maybe they, just don't, they still don't get the dynamic that Jesus is proclaiming himself to be God. But, but at best, they're skeptical. And at worst, they're just taunting him. At worst, they're just taunting him. They've heard, they've heard what he's had to say. They've rejected it. Oh, where's your dad? And Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come come. Jesus Jesus continued to speak the truth, even though he knew it wouldn't be well received. There's even this idea of arrest. There's even this idea of arrest, and Jesus doesn't stop. But notice what it says. He wasn't arrested. And you know why he wasn't arrested? Not because the people didn't want to arrest him there on the spot, but the reason that Jesus wasn't arrested is because the time wasn't yet in God's plan. And I just want to remind us all of something that we need to grasp onto and we need to hang on to no matter what comes. And this is a reminder for us that we have to remember throughout this year and throughout our lifetimes, remember this, God is in control. God is in control. The reason Jesus wasn't arrested is because God had a plan. And the plan, it wasn't time for the plan to be introduced yet. But if it was up to the people who were encountering Jesus, then Jesus would have been arrested. But God is greater and God is in control. And we might not understand everything that God's doing. We might not understand all the ways that God is behind the scenes working things. We may not understand why God allows us to go through certain certain situations in our lives. But we need to be reminded that God is in control and that headlines of the news and the reports that we get and the conspiracies that we see do not change the fact that God is greater and he is in control and we live in a world of darkness but he is the light and as people who follow him we have been called to live in the light so he said to them again I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin where I am going you cannot come so the Jews said will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus tells them, you're going to die in your sin. And it's a message they didn't understand because he said, I'm going. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again. I'm going to ascend to heaven, a land that is foreign to you, a place you will never experience. And it's a message that they didn't comprehend. They didn't accept. And he said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And here's the distinction that's drawn by Jesus. There's hope, and he is the path to hope. In a world of darkness, he is the light. I remember as a little kid, one day, my dad took a day of vacation and as a family, we went and we were gonna try a new burger joint that had just opened in our in our little city called White Castle. Now, if you've ever experienced White Castle, you know that they have found a way to destroy a hamburger. Now, listen, I've I've taken I've taken a lot of heat from the vegans or the vegans, excuse me. I don't even know how to pronounce you right. I've taken a lot of heat a lot of heat from the vegans who are telling me you just you just don't know the right cauliflower pizza and again i would just really challenge you to search your heart but i'm here to tell you i'm not i'm not blind to the fact that you can destroy protein as well I, and that's exactly what white castle managed to do as as a kid we went and it was an unpleasant dining experience maybe it was just a bad experience i don't know I, not like White Castle is going to sue me for this. They, like, they could care less. But it was disgusting uh, when, we, when we ate there. And we, we went to a theater that was located in a mall. And I remember it was so bad, I had to beg my dad for a cookie to get the taste out of my mouth. Not just because I wanted a cookie, which I did, but to get the taste out of my mouth from those, those little slider burgers. Um, Interestingly enough, a few years ago, I tried White Castle again, and it wasn't nearly as bad as I remembered. But I, I, tried, I t- ate, a, ate a little cookie, and it, it got the taste out of my mouth, and we went and we saw a movie. And I remember, I remember this because of White Castle, and also what happened at the end of the movie. As the movie was over, we walked out the exit doors. And in At that time, you could walk out the exit doors right into the parking lot, so you didn't have to go back through the theater lobby, and there wasn't an alarm on the door, so an alarm wouldn't sound. And as soon as my dad pushed open that door and we stepped outside, I would never experienced light hurting my eyes in a way that I could remember before. Because I was used to a dark theater. And as soon as the door was open, and as soon as we stepped outside, my eyes hurt and I shut them. And when I shut them, it looked red instead of black. And I, I held on to one of my parents' hands for a minute just because the light was so extreme. It hurt. We live in a world of darkness. In a world that's growing darker all the time. And when you are used to that much darkness, you don't know how to instantly respond to the light. Takes a minute to get your bearings. And it's so bright, it can hurt. There's a world around us that needs the light of Jesus. And some of that is from people who know the truth and have rejected it and are hostile. And why would we think they wouldn't be when they responded that way to Jesus himself? And some of that is from people who just need to experience the hope of the light. And we aren't going to know which is which. So what we're going to do is we're going to do our best walk in the light and shine it for all to see. And when some reject, they reject. We don't lose heart and we don't stop because there's somebody else walking in the darkness. And the light not just change their life, but will change their destiny. God, help us be people who walk in the light. In a world that is dark, in a world where many have rejected, in a culture that just wants to hear that everything's okay? Give us resolve to lovingly speak your truth. And as the forces of darkness continue, as things get darker, Let us remain committed to the light. Use us, God. Use us to shine your light in this world. I pray that you'd use Lakeside. We'd see lives changed here. That we'd see hope found here. That we'd see destinies changed and families changed. That our hearts would break for those who reject you, but our spirits would not. And we would continue. Walk in the light. Help us, Jesus.